it's Big Joe for Absolute Comfort, your trusted, independent, American Standard Air dealer. Owner Chris Wedekin sells the ductless Mitsubishi Electric Mini Split, which is a great option to heat and cool individual spaces while blending into the decor. If you want your poker room to be dressed up, you could take a vinyl wrap and put on these. If you like the more modern look, they have styles in black, silver, and pearl white that would be more aesthetically pleasing for your rooms. Find out more at absolutecomfort.org. Absolute Comfort is your trusted, independent, American Standard Air Mitsubishi Electric Elite Ductless Pro Dealer. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. Lots of stuff to get to. And, well, we start with Trump world. So Steve Bannon was a former advisor to President Trump. He's this kind of wild and wacky guy. He was, uh, as I said, chief strategist early on in Trump's administration, ultimately was kind of chaotic the way he was running the White House and got flushed out. Before that, he was probably best known as uh, the head over there at Breitbart News. And Steve Bannon still remains a pretty influential voice in certainly the Trump world, but the conservative uh, Republican uh, sphere, he's still a somewhat influential person. And he's got a podcast and he appears on uh, various television shows. And he said something yesterday that is a reminder of how, I guess what I would say, reactionary the Trump world is because Trump is very reactionary. And what I mean by this is they respond to the thing that is most recently in front of them. Like when you are president of the United States, you cannot be a car that goes zero to a hundred in one and a half seconds. You've got to be, in terms of how you govern and how you approach your messaging and what you're relaying to the American people, you've got to be essentially someone who drives the speed limit and is in super reliable transportation and you're assured you will never get in an automobile accident. Because that's what the American people demand, is whatever your philosophy steady, uh, whether you're conservative, liberal, whatever, you've got to be steady. You've got to be reliable. The people need to know what they're going to get. And in the case of Trump world, I think one of the major issues that many people had was from one day to the next, you never knew what you were going to get. And when you don't have stability, it creates uncertainty and uncertainty tends to bother many of the American people. And so what I'm talking about is, think about the amount of attorney generals that came through Trump's term. Think of the amount of advisors that came through Trump's term. Think of the communications directors that came through Trump's term. There was not a whole lot of stability because oftentimes Trump would react and the upper echelon of Trump would react to what was exactly in front of them in the moment rather than having a long-term vision. And so I say all of this because Steve Bannon was on a show yesterday and he was talking about, and we're going to play multiple pieces of audio throughout the, throughout the show, but he was talking about 
a potential running mate for Donald Trump. And I think not that there probably ever was an opportunity for this, but if there was ever an opportunity, the idea that Ron DeSantis is going to be Donald Trump's running mate has long since sailed. That is absolutely not going to happen. They're not going to team up. They're not going to be a dream team. It's not going to happen. So he was on with Charlie Kirk and he was asked about a running mate for Trump. And unbelievably, he said Trump should pick Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We put together a unity ticket of Trump and Kennedy. It would be insurmountable. We would bring over many of the populists on the left, many of the people that don't agree, Charlie, with Charlie Kirk and Steve Bannon and Donald J. Trump. But that's what a unity ticket is. And I think we could get two-thirds or 70 percent of the American people. Okay, so this is why, and we talk about trust. It is very hard to trust Donald Trump because of stuff like this. The vice president is a super important position for a bevy of reasons. Number one, it is the tiebreaker in the United States Senate. And we have seen in recent years, as we have a fairly evenly divided Senate, the that tie-breaking vote is a really big deal. That's number one. Number two, and for all the faults of Mike Pence, and we all know my long history of issues with Mike Pence, He was an incredible messenger for Donald Trump. And that is really the other primary job of the vice president is to be the messenger for the administration. And so having said all of that, Robert F. Kennedy on both of those fronts would be a disaster. Yes, Robert Kennedy is very good on vaccines and the idea of medical freedom. Absolutely, 100%. If you were to say... Thumb up, thumb down, 100% thumb up. But on everything else throughout the course of his life, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been, in most cases, a hardcore left liberal. I mean, he is a complete lunatic on the environment. And so when Steve Bannon comes out and says, well, he should pick Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because what a unity ticket that would be. That That should bother everyone. We shouldn't want a unity ticket. Because there's nothing that we as conservatives or liberty-minded people have in common with the radical left green movement. There's nothing that we as conservatives and liberty-minded people have in common with the vast majority of the views that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has expressed throughout his life. And if winning is the most important thing, rather than actually governing to Donald Trump, which that's what the vice president is, it is a part of your governing, that should be a colossal red flag for everyone as well. So I I thought this was completely insane, but yet somewhat predictable of the pattern of behavior we saw from Donald Trump during his time in office of unpredictable decisions that normal people look at and go, that's probably not going to end well and ultimately doesn't end well. And it comes back to, has Trump learned anything from the first time in office and then his re-election campaign and why he didn't get re-elected? And it appears, because Steve Bannon is still, by all accounts, in that Trump orbit, that maybe he hasn't. And again, those should be red flags. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. Speaking of Trump, Uh, Biden announcing yesterday 
that he is running for re-election. Of course, we talked about that, the bizarre way in which he did it, just a video announcement, no press conference, you know, no no grabbing the attention of the nation. When the president speaks and it would be a press conference, no matter what it is, you have so much opportunity for earned media, Biden bypassing that, clearly probably doing that because they were worried about what he would say in the press conference, not trusting him to do that. And so they said, well, we'll forego that and, and just get a video announcement out there and then we're on our way. So Trump responded to Biden's announcement. It was a long response, about four and a half minutes, I think. And here's a little bit of Trump's thoughts on Biden running again. You could take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together and they would not have done the damage Joe Biden has done to our nation in just a few short years, not even close. Thanks to Joe Biden's socialist spending calamity, American families are being decimated by the worst inflation in half a century. Banks are failing, our currency is crashing, and the dollar will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat in over 200 years. Real wages have been falling 24 months in a row, in other words, under Biden, workers have gotten a pay cut each and every month for two straight years. We have surrendered our energy independence, just like we surrendered in Afghanistan, which we had just a short time ago. And the price of gasoline just hit a five-month high, and it's going much higher than that. Trump's messages are great. And everything he said right there is 100% true. I think the question people have to ask themselves, though, and look, this will become, and a little bit later on, we're going to get into how they've kind of begun to set up how the primary is going to work on the Republican side, how the debates will happen, when they'll happen. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But I think the thing people are going to have to ask themselves, those things Trump was saying right there are absolutely true. On the merits of the issue, Joe Biden is very vulnerable. Joe Biden's policies have left people unhappy. But can Donald Trump with his uh, and again, look, it's it's not me. I'm not saying this as I view it this way. I'm telling you how other people view it. Can Donald Trump with his controversial, abrasive personality and persona on people who bizarrely would rather vote for how they feel based on Twitter rather than what's actually happening in their lives? Can Donald Trump cut through that? and make Biden's performance the issue in the campaign. I don't know what the answer is to that. We will see. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. Uh, when we come back, speaking of Biden, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked a very straightforward, what should be super easy question to answer about Biden, and she would not do it. We'll talk about it when we come back. Thompson Gunner. job, Kev. Well done. Uh, 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. So it's just me and Kev. And well, I guess I should say it's just me and Kev and Corinne Jean-Pierre because wow, she is, well, she's the gift that keeps on giving. And there are certain people that when they leave politics or they leave an administration, in our business, you say, I'm really going to miss that person. Not because they're overly good at their job, or you say, wow, boy, there was just some super insightful stuff that, that came out of her, but rather 
they keep giving us stuff that makes our job better here on the show and easier to do and cringe on Pierre. One of those people because you just never know what she's going to say. And yesterday, in in light of Biden's announcement that he's going to run for re-election, she was asked a pretty straightforward question. And it should be a well-duh question based on the fact that Joe Biden has said, I'm running for re-election. We know the president serves a four-year term. So if he's already served four years and he says, I'm running for re-election and wants to serve four more years, well, public school math tells us four plus four is eight. He would be serving eight years. And Crin John Pierre was asked if Biden plans to serve all eight years and she would not answer this question, which is super weird. Take a listen. Does the president um, plan to serve all eight years? I'm not I'm just not going to get ahead of the president. That's something for him to decide. I'm just not going to get ahead of it. And we're there's a 2024 uh, campaign. Anything related to that, I would refer you to that. Isn't that odd? Like, can you imagine if when Obama was running for re-election, they would have even asked that question? Or when George W. Bush was running for re-election or Bill Clinton before him? I, I can't even imagine why that question i mean i can with biden and we'll get to that in a second i mean but i mean you can't why would you even ask that question i'm the president i'm running for re-election the term is four years why wouldn't you serve eight years and so with that non-answer it should give every american pause to say if the, you can't give us a clear answer that he will be serving for four more years which is what he's signing up for Who's going to be running this country? Who's actually going to be making the choices? Who are we actually voting for? Again, a cut and dry, super easy, super simple question to answer. And she wouldn't do it. And don't think that's accidental. Uh, Don't think that's not by design. That should tell every single American that there is at least a strong chance that Joe Biden may not serve out his entire four-year term if he is reelected. And so then in that case, you say to yourself, if not him, then who? And as bad as Biden is, there's a good chance the who is even scarier than Biden himself. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. When we come back, an incredible poll about how people feel about God and how that makes them feel as a person. Really interesting stuff. We'll get into it when we come back. 93 WIBC. number of very happy people in America is in rapid decline. But those who remain very happy have a common theme. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. Kev's here. So interesting poll that came out from the Wall Street Journal. And it has to do with how happy people are in this country. And what we have seen since 2015 is a rapid decline of very happy people in the United States. And 
if you look at this country and the direction of it and the things that have happened since 2015, I'd say that's pretty predictable. Um, to tell you what we're talking about, between the years 1970 and 2015, the number of very happy people, according to this Wall Street Journal poll, never dropped below 28%. So between the years of 20, 1970 and 2015, there were never fewer than 28% of America describing themselves as very, as very happy. There were never more than 38. So it was always between 28 and 38% for 45 years. And that, again, seems about right. However, in the most recent poll, just 12% of Americans describe themselves as very happy people. And I think there are a bevy of reasons why. And then we're going to get into what the one commonality between most of the very happy people are. I think we live in a country now where trust has been completely eroded from many people in positions of power. And I'm not just talking about politicians. Certainly, we have seen trust be eroded from our politicians. There are very few, let's start at a federal level. There are very few senators or U.S. House members, or certainly the president, who you could say with relative certainty, those people care about me and those people are voting day in and day out on my best interest. Very few, maybe a handful of the whatever it is. What is it? 535 people in the House and Senate, 536 if you want to include Biden, five, maybe 10. That's pathetic. Look at a state level. How many of the 150 House or Senate members the overwhelming majority of which are Republican, do you believe are working for you every single day? Again, a handful at most, which is why when you're hurting on things like property or gas taxes, it's not even a blip on their radar. It's more than just politicians, though. It's the eroding of trust from institutions that we have previously looked to as above reproach. Look at what we're dealing with with public education now. When I was growing up, and I'm sure when you were growing up, there's a very good chance some of the most revered and trusted people in your community were public school teachers. I had a lot of teachers who were Democrats, but I still revered them and trusted them because they were honest people who were honest about their opinions and were teaching the subject matter at hand, not trying to indoctrinate me into a way of thinking. Look at what we're dealing with now. We have this video that has surfaced confirming what we already know of public school administrators in Indiana admitting across the state that they are manipulating information that parents receive about what their kids are learning in an attempt to indoctrinate them because they want kids to think the way they want them to think. If your kid's going to public school, they're not there to learn the material anymore. They are there to think the way the leftist administrators, school boards, and educators in many cases want them to think. And so in one field after another, that's just two of them, right? Politics and our public education system. 
We are seeing those fields erode, the trust in those fields erode from people we should trust more than any other. But I think the biggest reason of all, and this poll really backs this up, that so many people are unhappy, is that they are living for this earth and living for themselves without belief or reverence or faith in a higher power. And what this poll found among the few people who still describe themselves as very happy is that two-thirds of the people who describe themselves as very happy describe themselves as very or moderately religious. Now, that doesn't identify a specific religion. But what it, what it is saying is that the people who are very happy they are living for something greater than themselves. They are able to work through the trials and tribulations and breaking of trust in society because they recognize that when it is all said and done, there is something far bigger than themselves that is at play here. I think about my own life. I come in here every day and I voice a lot of frustration to you. We talk about the failures of government we talk about, again, the eroding of, uh, of public trust in the government. We talk about the abandoning of the people in favor of the special interest and, and the donors and lobbyists by our government. We talk about government officials who put themselves ahead of your interest, the betterment of themselves ahead of you. You might think I'm a pretty miserable person if you just took what we talk about on this radio show. But away from this radio show... I am an incredibly happy person because the job of this show is to inform you because the one of the jobs of this show is to try to motivate you to make this system we all share together, whether it's public education, whether it's our, our government as a collective or whatever, better. That's what we do. We talk about in an entertaining way the things that need to change, the things that need to be better, the things we all should be doing. But away from this show... I'd, I'm not sure I've ever been happier as a human being. And I will tell you, my reassertion of my faith over the past year has played a huge part in that. Because at the end of the day, when I leave here at noon, and yes, there are things in my community that I engage in politically because they're important to me. They affect me. They affect my family. They affect the future of the community. But outside of that arena of politics, I'm able to separate that. I'm able to compartmentalize that and say, at the end of the day, I'm living for something bigger than me. I'm living for something bigger than myself. And I think this Wall Street Journal poll bears this out, that the people who share that commonality tend to be much happier people. So if you are not one of those, I would encourage you to give it a try. What do you have to lose? It is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's out today. When we come back, the Capitol Hill police chief was testifying yesterday, and he is very upset that Tucker Carlson had the audacity to show you what actually happened on January 6th. We'll talk about it when we come back on 93 WIBC. General Assembly and what's the plan with the property taxes? Anyone? Bueller?
93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. We're going to get to this uh, audio from the Capitol Hill police chief here in just a moment uh, in regards to being very angry that Tucker Carlson had the audacity to uh, show you what happened on January 6th. But before we do that, uh, just a little update. Reminder, there are two days left to go in the Indiana General Assembly. And as of now, with less than 48 hours to go, there is no plan to address the rising property tax crisis. And I take no joy in telling you this. If you're a regular listener to this show, we told you, well, we told you a year ago they wouldn't have a plan. And then we told you at Org Day in November they wouldn't have a plan. And then we told you at the start of the legislative session they wouldn't have a plan. And then we told you when Thompson, Jeff Thompson, the head of Ways and Means, begrudgingly passed that 65-page bill that did the bare minimum possible, that wasn't the plan and there'd be no plan. And now here we are, two days to go. The bills have come. People know they're getting crushed. 20, 30, 40, even 50% increases in some cases. And there is no plan. And the only possible answer for that is these people don't care about you at all. And ultimately, it's going to come down to you, the voter, how much you feel you deserve to be cared about by your elected officials. Because the argument the Republicans will make when they run again next year, whether it is for governor, whoever the nominee is there, or in these various House and Senate seats, is what other choice do you have? Because they believe that when push comes to shove, you will so fear a Democrat being in there that you will either pull the lever for them or leave it blank. You will not vote third party. You will not vote Democrat. And in most cases, you won't even leave it blank. It's a calculated decision. And you will have the opportunity to prove them wrong next year. And hopefully in the spring, you will have the opportunity, if good people indeed do decide to finally be fed up enough to run against these Republican supermajorities in the House and Senate across the state. And you'll have an opportunity to prove them right or wrong in the fall as well. They believe, they being the Indiana Republican Party, they own you. There is, that is the only possible reason to have a clear and present crisis affecting millions of people in your state and do absolutely nothing about it. The only possible reason for that as a politician is you believe it will not hurt you politically. Why did Republicans act in 2008 and put the tax caps into place? Why did they put them into the Constitution or put the constitutional amendment forward that voters put into the Constitution in 2010? Because they feared you. They believed you were going to punish them if they didn't act, and then others believed who wanted to run, you will reward us if we do act. And they were proven correct. The major catalyst for what became Republican supermajorities in the House and Senate and dominance of the governor's mansion was the property tax reform was the property tax crisis. And they took full advantage of it. The reason they are not acting now and nothing is going to happen. Just get it. Just get it through your heads. It's over. That ship has sailed. Amazingly, to many of us, 
the party of low taxes and limited government, when faced with a clear and present crisis affecting millions of people in their state involving taxes, has decided to take a walk. No amount of phone calls, they got them. No amount of emails, they got them is going to change their mind because ultimately what these people care about is really, you know, what's the saying? You know, what's old is new again. There's nothing new under the sun. It's actually the same thing they cared about in 2008, which is staying in office. That's what these people care about. The senators, the house reps, they care about staying in office. All they do for the most part, every decision they make is about their own benefit and their own political future. It's not about you. It's not about helping you. If you do get helped occasionally, it's an accidental piece of good luck on your part because they believe it will help them stay in office. And so on this front, we are to blame because we, we, the voters, have created an environment by which these people do not fear us. The Indiana Republican Party believes they can abuse your finances, a limitless abuse of your finances, which is what failure to act on property tax crisis is it is a blatant abuse of your finances if you treated an old person the same way they treat your finances they call it elder abuse if you did this to your kid the way they treat your finances they call child abuse dcs would be at your home in an hour's notice but they don't fear you so ultimately you're going to have to make that choice. And they're banking on you not standing up for yourself. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. Casey's out today. She'll be back tomorrow. So uh, the head of the Capitol Hill police was testifying in front of Congress yesterday. And this is everything government. So remember Tucker Carlson, when he was still at his night show at Fox News, he got the January 6th tapes. And he said, look, what you have seen and heard from this January 6th commission is a is a scam and a sham. They're not giving you the whole story. They're picking and choosing. They're manipulating. Here are the videotapes. And what you saw in there was what we have talked about, many of us have talked about for a long time. Were the people who broke the law? Yes. But was this some insurrection in an attempt to overthrow the government? Absolutely not. You saw the Viking horn guy, hat guy. He's being casually followed around by security people. He's not waving an axe. He's not throwing, uh, you know, stars at people. He's not attempting to stab or shoot anyone. He's just moseying around the nation's capital the same way many of us have done our own state capital many times. The video is very clear. Many people are just wandering around because they were invited in. And you will hear in this testimony from the Capitol Hill police chief, he's mad that Tucker Carlson had the audacity to show you the truth. And the truth is, are there some people who broke the law? Yes. But are these people that we need to lock down at Guantanamo Bay and waterboard them to get the truth about some radical MAGA vast right-wing conspiracy? No, absolutely not. He's upset that you saw the truth. The, the following day when um, he did that program, uh, I put out a message to all of my employees and I talked to them about um, what uh, the, the narrative that he tried to put forth, how disrespectful it was to the men and women of the Capitol Police. And um, I, I, I think what was fortunate is that um, 
that narrative that um, Mr. Carlson tried to put out had no legs. I think I think most folks understood exactly what it was, and so um, I think that was very gratifying to uh, to the members of the Capitol Police to see that um, that uh, the public did not agree with with that assessment. I appreciate that, and I agree with you uh, that despite okay. uh, his best effort. Yeah. So, what you heard there is this guy's mad that you saw the truth, and he lies then about what the people actually saw. The people saw, as we're describing, you can go see it for yourself. You don't take my word for it. The overwhelming majority—I mean, what was it they used during the summer of love? Mostly peaceful protest. The majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people, one, many of them were just let in by security. Think about if you're wandering around the Capitol and there's some guy with a badge and a security jacket and he's waving you into the nation's Capitol. Well, why would you feel bad about going in? And those people who were in, they weren't stealing stuff. They weren't lighting things on fire. They weren't attempting to, as AOC would have you believe, like track her down in a dark room somewhere and have their, uh, you know, do horrific things to her. They were just people wandering around the Capitol. Oh, cool. Some guy said, come on in. Okay. Sounds like a time. Was it the smartest thing to do? No. Should those people have faced some sort of consequence i guess i don't know again if some guy in a badge with a jacket that says security on it is waving you in and you go in are you to blame this was not an insurrection this wasn't an attempt to overthrow the government and the videotape proves it the videotape proves that this were this was a small group of people who broke the law certainly paling in comparison to what we saw in large cities across this nation during the summer of 2020. There's nothing that happened on January 6th that was as bad as what we saw here in the city of Indianapolis. The only person that died on January 6th was Ashley Babbitt, who was assassinated by the cops. There was no reason to shoot her. She got shot. If that had been done in Indianapolis during the summer of 2020, you would have seen a new a new wave of riots if it were reversed if the cops had shot a citizen in the city of indianapolis at those protests in which downtown was destroyed you would have seen a new wave of riots in this city that's the only person who died on january 6th because of january 6th now did another guy die whatever it was a stroke or a heart attack days later or whatever yes but that was not january 6th as much as they want you to believe that and it comes back to our government officials and the trust in government officials being concerned, not with the truth or getting the truth out or making sure you know what actually happened. It's a group of people being concerned, in this case, law enforcement, concerned that you saw the truth. 93 WIBC, it's the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. More on the way coming up next.